For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. If you've ever felt a little down and out, a little unattractive and unwanted maybe, just some rough patches in your love life, this may cheer you up. <laughs> a study published in the journal Ecological Society of America written by Dr. Khalifa, and brought to my attention by that mule, coos, or cows, and antelope jackrabbit-loving biologist, Jim Heffelfinger, documents the act of faking death in order to avoid male coercion. This is described as, and this is a direct quote, extreme sexual conflict resolution. Specifically, this study observed moorland hawker or sedge-darner dragonflies and was kicked off by the initial sighting of a female dragonfly being chased by a male when suddenly the female's wings quit beating and she crashed violently to the ground. The male departed after only a short look at what appeared to be the deceased female. Now this observation had been made previously, but apparently it had not been linked to a sexual avoidance technique. In this study at least, this was not a fluke or random act, in 88.6% of the observed chase sequences, females crashed to the ground when pursued by a male, and those that were able to crash in tall grass or bushes were no longer pursued. The ones that hit short grass continued to be harassed. Why are these females pursued so heavily? Well, the males set up and wait around bodies of water which the females like to deposit their fertilized eggs around. There is a surplus of males, so when a female becomes non-receptive due to the fact that she has already mated, the males that were not a part of the copulation just see her as an opportunity to copulate, hence the need for sexual conflict resolution. 
And yes, I would hope everyone listening would consider the act of playing dead a pretty clear sign that, you know, she's just not into you, dude. Babe, wait. Babe, wait. Babe, wait. Babe! Babe, wait! Babe! 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 We know the dragonflies do. Another interesting tidbit from this paper, the female dragonflies were found to be fully conscious, as in they were aware, so far as we know of awareness in dragonflies. This was not an evolutionary and uncontrollable comatose physiological state like that of one of my favorite critters, the opossum. This maneuver is a conscious act of fakery, which is not common at all in the animal world if you exclude humans, of course. In fact, only two species of robber fly, the European mantis and Pisora mirabilis, which is a spider species native to Europe, as well as Russia, China, and North Africa. In the case of the spider, it is the male that fakes death during and after sex in order to avoid being eaten by the female. The female is known to drag the male, who's feigning death, around for a while. This is after he presents a, quote, nuptial gift in the form of food. If you think you've been on a bad date, you've got nothing on Pisora mirabilis. But back to dragonflies. And listen up, this is interesting stuff. Dragonflies are classified as odonata, which refers to their serrated teeth. In Greek, odonate means toothed one. If you are a dragonfly watcher, just like a bird watcher, that hobby is called oding. You are an odor, which is a good thing, and not to be confused with you have an odor, which I guess could be a good thing or a bad thing. The act of oding has led to all sorts of truly incredible observations, including the act of extreme sexual conflict resolution. But also, dragonflies migrate. In fact, I have personally seen a swarm, which is the term for a group of dragonflies, migrating right over the top of my highly industrialized, citified condo here in Bozeman, Montana. And my place is at least a mile from the nearest still water that a lot of dragonflies prefer. But a mile migration is nothing, as it turns out. Odors in New Jersey conducting a study found that green darners traveled an average of 7.5 miles per day after a three-day rest. That's just on average. They had one individual who traveled more than 100 miles in a day. If you think that is something, through the use of tiny tracking transmitters, one study tracked the globe skimmer dragonfly, which I'll just tell you right now is the migration champion of the insect world, as it crossed the Indian Ocean and back. That's some 11,000 miles, according to the Smithsonian. To me, this would make a heck of a lot more sense if the globe skimmer were like the dragonflies in the fossil record with wingspans of over two feet. But this little dragonfly is only one and a half inches long. Again, that's 11,000 miles. The globe skimmer dragonfly is the furthest migrating insect in the world. If this gets your citizen scientist fuel pumping, and it should, check out the Dragonfly Swarm Project. You can report the swarms you find. But back to the point, which is... Why would this be a cheerful example for folks who are a little down on their luck in the love game? Incels and whatnot. Well, because dragonflies are amazing, beautiful, deadly. Creatures who perform a task that everyone loves, which is eating mosquitoes and gnats, things that bite you. Sometimes they'll consume 30 to 100 a day. 
And despite being around for over 300 million years, even they don't get the lady they pursue almost 90% of the time. That's all I was trying to say. It's a big old goofy world. This week, good news, guns, corrections, national park goats, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. My week started a little rough. If you listen to the first ever shamefully phoned-in Meat Eater podcast recording, episode number 215, titled, I Miss My Friends, I Got Robbed. More correctly, burgled, as a listener pointed out. People get robbed. Stuff gets burgled. Rubble, rubble. The thieves, low-down, dirty, shameful creatures that they are, were not super efficient at cleaning me out, so I've spent the week cleaning up the garage and properly organizing things so it will be you know, much easier to cart away all my good stuff in the future. One thing these sad, unproductive sacks got away with was, and will remain very hurtful, the knife from this old, crusty, unattractive, one-legged Viking and blacksmith named Rick Schmidt, a.k.a. Ricky Ray, of Schmidt Knives and Forge out of Whitefish, Montana, and a former fishing guide. I met Ricky Ray a long time ago when I had first started guiding fishing full-time out of West Glacier, Montana. Ricky would guide the occasional trip. He stood out from the rest of the crew, not because he was older than us and had his own boats and gear. He stood out because he just seemed to always be happy and smiling and had this attitude of general gratitude. Huh? He'd always be smiling as he walked around the fly shop and boat barn getting his trip ready. He even had two whole legs back then. You see, on occasion in some guide circles, you could run into this seriousness, this attitude that if one does not take oneself seriously, as displayed through wrinkled brow and consistency of dour, solemn, negative thoughts regarding the river being too high, too low, too cold, too warm, too peopled, too clear, too murky, not to mention the quality of the clientele who could cast too far, too short. They don't set when they eat, and they don't eat what you set out for lunch. If you don't have that attitude, then, you know, you just aren't being a guide. Well, old Rick Schmidt just seemed happy to be there and happy to talk with people he knew and didn't know. Aside from this, he made knives that were absolutely gorgeous. At that time, he had gotten a hold of, as in stole from some mountain slope, a length of skitter cable, and had started forging that twisted cable into knife blades, being careful to leave the weave of the individual strands of cable visible on parts of the blade. They were something to envy. Absolutely gorgeous. Every guide wants a good knife. Now, to be clear, I was dead broke, and Rick's knives were expensive. On top of that, I was just this new face. Nobody knew me. I was just background noise, if that. But I was there in the background one day and observed Ricky Ray giving one of his masterful works of art to a fellow yet senior guide, someone I figured could not appreciate it the way I could. Nor could they likely even use a knife like that. What's more, they could probably afford the darn thing. Jealousy. Envy. The whole enchilada. That's what I was feeling. Now, Life moves along and we take different gigs and move around and occasionally I would hear about Ricky Ray and pass along my well wishes and very occasionally we would actually bump into each other and chat and Rick would be happy and looking so appreciative of just, you know, talking with me who he didn't even know that much. You know, just a genuine fellow. 
Some years later, I'm living in Idaho, and I get a call to throw my hat in the ring to be on the national board for the great public land nonprofit Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I made that interview call on the side of the road in early spring watching Canada geese land in a field between Boise and Emmett, Idaho. We had our national rendezvous in Boise that same year. There was Rick Schmidt. He had donated knives for about 10 different raffles and auctions. We got to catch up just for a minute. Too busy, but it was great to see him again. When I got home to my place in Ketchum, Idaho, a few days had passed, and a package showed up in my P.O. box. Inside it was my very own Rick Schmidt knife, something I had secretly coveted for a decade. With it was a note that said, careful, this is sharp, and thanks for volunteering. I could have cried. I called Ricky up and thanked him, told him how much it meant, and I asked if there was anything I could do in return to thank him. He said, you just did. But that knife isn't just to look at, you have to use it. Long-winded way of saying, this public lands living, father, guide, craftsman, and good timer is a highly impactful type that I know makes the world a better place. This guy, Rick Schmidt, hit about a bad luck in the health department and is one of these immunocompromised people that are so susceptible to this COVID-19. Another reason to keep your fish stints. At least one adult paddlefish right now, away from each other. Ricky Ray just turned 65. He's a lot shorter on one side than the other, but he's still got a lot of living and impacting the lives of outdoor river-loving people to do. And here's my dirty secret. I never used that darn knife. Maybe that broken promise lured those ne'er-do-wells into my gear. This would also be a great time to mention that this podcast is powered by steel power equipment. And those thieves, they also got away with one of my steel chainsaws. It was brand new. I had not had a chance to form such a loving relationship with it as I had the Rick Schmidt knife. But those sons of guns stole that opportunity too. Major thanks and appreciation to all my friends at Steel. I built a pegboard backsplash to my workbench with my remaining saws the MSA 200C for the rough cuts. As I've mentioned many times on this podcast, one of the many benefits of an electric chainsaw is you can run them in the middle of the night inside your garage, very little noise, and no fumes. Good, clean living. Grandpa was a carpenter. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com cal. That's meetfabric.com cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition. 
of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. All right, a couple of corrections, then we're off to the races. A couple of episodes back, I was rambling about ocean basin crossing turtles. One in particular named Yoshi from Two Oceans Aquarium, who, when released, traveled about 23,000 miles in 26 months. The turtle is, of course, a reptile, not a mammal, as is what slipped out of me. Ray Whiskover, thank you for catching that one. You weren't the only one, but you're the only one I'm naming. All you darned Washingtonians, from Spokane to Hump Tulips, I pronounce the town of Squim. Like, I'm sorry, I am wet. I just got done with a short squim, spelled S-E-Q-U-I-M. Apparently situated in a rain shadow on the Olympic Peninsula and gets shockingly little precipitation, according to Meat Eater's own non-COVID harboring Washington native Sam Lundgren. Squim, again spelled S-E-Q-U-I-M, is locked in. My apologies. At least you can tell who the out-of-towners are. And for you Washingtonians... We are going to move on to some fun things you can do in the spring that doesn't necessarily have to include all the city, state, and federal grounds that have been closed in response to lack of social distancing and COVID-19 in the western part of the state. First, check out Spencer Newhart's article, What is a False Morel Mushroom? at TheMeatEater.com. Now, keep in mind, the term false morel is actually a fairly large umbrella term, so read up and be on the lookout. Record your bird sightings, or dragonflies as we learned about. Also, asparagus season is here. All of these things mentioned, I have found, in urban interface and roadside ditches. Not on state or federal land, 
although they can be found there too. Additionally, Justin Spruill writes in to say, Asian giant hornet monitoring is a new springtime activity in Washington State, and the Washington Department of Agriculture is looking for volunteers. If you remember from episode 49, the Asian giant hornet is a potentially harmful honeybee eater and an invasive species. If you're looking to go do some good and have an excuse for exercise, look up the Washington State Department of Agriculture. I am very confident that if you tell folks you are actively searching for aggressive Asian giant hornets, you'll have no problem finding a minimum social distance. (coughs) On to the public lands desk. As we all know, spring is in the air, days are getting longer. Sure, it'll keep snowing in Montana, but the point is, we are all getting the itch to be outside. In some areas, that is difficult due to the closures of some trailheads, parks, parking areas on both state and federal land. Some good news on this one. The Congressional Sportsman's Foundation just issued a press release stating that a letter penned in conjunction with over 50 national conservation groups has been sent to our 50 state governors urging them to keep our outdoor access opportunities open, which is good. That means that the outdoor recreating public has gotten off their duffs enough to write their elected officials. We are not out of the woods yet, or in a lot of cases, into the woods yet. Again, I want to urge everyone now, more than ever, that our actions will represent the whole. If you see garbage, pick it up. Do not park at a full or near full parking area and practice pack it in, pack it out in all areas. Show state agencies that are still doing the work that we outdoor-loving public peoples can both police and pick up after ourselves as well as maintain the proper social distance. That's the only way these spots will open back up or remain open. If you have any additional questions, please check out Joe Cermelli's latest article. It's up to us at TheMeatEater.com. I'm sure if you're like me and you're sitting in a spot where you're surrounded by public lands that you feel like you're only a half mile away with paradise waiting wherever you are. So we hope things change soon. Moving on. According to every single source I can find from AP News to Al Jazeera, the United States of America is putting some serious buying power into firearms right now. The FBI conducted 3.7 million background checks in March alone. A little over 2 million of those were for firearm purchases. Over 210,000 background checks were done on March 21, a single-day record. Why the heck am I covering this on the Week in Review? Because COVID-19 is proving more beneficial to conservation funding than a Democratic president. Before you get all hot and bothered or confused, I'm talking about the Pittman-Robertson excise tax, of course. That PR money, or Pittman-Robertson. A bit of legislation spearheaded in 1937 by Nevada Senator Key Pittman and Virginia Congressman Absalom Willis Robertson. They took a pre-existing excise tax on firearms and ammunition sales and diverted the money to the Secretary of Interior for distribution to states on behalf of wildlife and habitat. The difference in PR now versus 1937 is that the tax was extended to cover handguns, firearm accessories, and an 11% tax on archery equipment. Later, PR funds were extended to be used for hunter safety classes, shooting ranges, and most recently, outreach in the form of R3, 
recruitment, reactivation, and retainment of hunters. PR funds are not distributed willy-nilly. Funds are distributed in a pay-to-play model where state agencies can pick a project, get to work on it, then submit it for consideration. If chosen, the state will be reimbursed for up to 75% of the project. I like that model. Gotta have some skin in the game. Now, as for my wisecrack regarding COVID-19 firearms purchases and Democratic presidents being good for Pittman-Robertson and conservation, we typically see firearm sales spike when Democrats are elected or looking likely to be elected. The last time we in the U.S. saw firearm sales anywhere near this high is when President Obama was elected, for example. It is important to note, or ponder, that the person who purchases guns, ammunition, firearm accessories, archery equipment, with no intention or inclination to ever use the stuff in an outdoor-oriented fashion, which does happen a lot, kind of like, you know, folks who buy, like, uh, decorative towels or bowls or something that aren't for use, they're just for looking at. For instance, I have an AR-15-style rifle chambered in the 6.5 Grendel, which is essentially the decorative mixing bowl of my arsenal. The difference between the Grendel and the mixing bowl is all the stuff I purchased to assemble that rifle. Lower, upper, forend, carrier bolt face, magazines, ammunition, all contributed to the funding of conservation. Anyway, if you're a fan of wildlife and are not a purchaser of conservation licenses or bird stamps or doing any donating to conservation orgs that are doing the good work, you better make a habit of thanking those firearm owners for their purchases. Moving on. Olympic National Park just posted all the ways you can volunteer within the park with the National Park Service. One thing that caught my eye, and many, many others, is asking hunters to volunteer to help with the eradication of the non-native mountain goats within the park. The volunteer application is very thorough. Strict guidelines, training, and policies are in place. On behalf of all hunters, I ask those that apply to understand that this is a situation that will put a lot of focus on hunting and hunters in general, so take it seriously. On top of that, please understand what you are volunteering to do. Eradicate mountain goats. It is up to the volunteers to decide what they pack out of the mountains. There are no requirements outside of what park biologists are asking for, at least in the paperwork I have read. They are not asking for steaks, roasts, and burgers, all neatly wrapped up, packaged, and labeled, in other words. I am all for this experiment, to be clear. We've discussed this scenario in Grand Teton National Park. To be honest, I got a little early tip on this one, that it was uh, coming down the pipe, or uh, mountain, rather. It is an experiment of the social type, so tread cautiously and take this opportunity seriously as seriously as the decision to do the job of a volunteer tasked with killing mountain goats while being a hunter looking at a pile of meat stacking up that you can either choose to leave or take. And last but not least, on this very happy, upbeat episode, the Department of Interior announced the opening of an additional 2.3 million acres to hunting and fishing opportunities across 97 national wildlife refuges and nine national fish hatcheries. American sportsmen and women coughed up nearly $1 billion in excise taxes just last year through taxes I've already mentioned, like Pittman-Robertson for firearms, archery, and ammunition purchases, Dingle Johnson, fishing equipment purchases, and boat fuel. 
But let's not stop there. Harass and continue to harass your duly elected officials to pass and co-sponsor the Great American Outdoors Act. If you have a congressman or state rep that is a tired old stick in the mud like, oh, I don't know, Jim Rish, Idaho, or Mike Lee of Utah, remind them that they work for you, and it is their job to represent their district's voice, not their personal opinions. You can do that very simply by getting a petition going within your district, collect enough signatures to show them that their own personal opinions should be kept personal. That's your call to action this week, so get on it. Just a reminder to all that this has been episode 50 of Cal's Week in Review. That is roughly 165,000 words about the length of your average romance novel on the shelf. I wonder what pays more. Very special thanks to Phil the Engineer. He is the man behind the sound effects. The show has gotten so much better and more fun through all of your hard work. Thank you, Phil. Old Phil. You ain't much to look at, just a free rambling man. And of course, thank you so much to all you listening to Cal's Week in Review. I hope you're having as much fun as we are. If you are, tell some friends, buy a t-shirt, maybe even a steel chainsaw, and keep setting me straight by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. I may not get back to you, but I'm always thinking about you. Have a great week and get outside. Rest in peace, John Prime. I said, I'm going to be a symphony just as soon as I find a key to my automobile. I want my automobile. I want my automobile. I'm going to drive it all around this world. Take a ride. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.